Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. House Speaker Ron Mariano has been in his role for a year now, after 30 years in the state legislature. He has served as Speaker entirely during a global pandemic. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, for joining me. You said recently that you do plan to run for another term for Speaker in January of 2023. So what do you like about the job? Uh, it's, it's a challenge, and it's been fun. Um, the difficulty, obviously, is 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 being remote and trying to stay in contact with with 160, 159 members that that uh, all want to see you doing something different. Uh, so that's been a bit of a challenge. But all in all, the job is still basically the same. And I think uh, the the team that we have that has worked on the the remote operation of the of the house has done a remarkable job. We've continued to pass bills. We've done, we've done our budget on time. <clears throat> we did the upper a huge spending bill uh, without a hitch. Uh, so we've we've shown that we can operate remotely, if necessary, while at the same time improving access for a lot of folks out in Western Mass, who now can attend and listen to hearings and, and voice their opinion at hearings through Zoom or, or whatever medium we're using. So so it's had it's had disadvantages, but it's also had some advantages as as we've uh, sort of through trial and ever got through the, the system that we have now. Do you think there are some of the things that you learned from operating during COVID, things like remote access to hearing, um, that you might continue even past the pandemic? Absolutely. I, I think the remote hearing uh, situation has really increased the opportunity for folks to get involved in in the process. I think that that has has changed the way people look at the the hearing uh, of a bill. Before it was, if you lived in Springfield, you had to commit a day to come in here and testify, and oftentimes you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to attend the the executive session so you wouldn't know the outcome of the bill for a long long time later. Now you're 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 actually part of the process. You can testify. Um, you you can listen to to the pros and cons of the bill that you, you're interested in. So I think these are all worthwhile things to keep. The other thing we're doing that we we don't seem to get any credit for as we're broadcasting the informal sessions uh, on the internet. So there is a way for you to see what goes on in an informal session also. And you did mention that COVID has kind of brought with it that challenge of having of being able to relate to members and talk to members when they're not in the building. And obviously it seems like that's one of the biggest parts of the role of speaker is forming these relationships, building relationships. How have you managed to do that given COVID? Has it been more difficult? Well, probably the most difficult thing is is trying to make sure I, I I'm fair with everybody that I give everyone the opportunity to be heard. That the Western Mass folks have as much an opportunity to to get to me as as the uh, Greater Boston or the the South Shore reps who, who I see around town. So that's been the biggest challenge, and and I've done that by by phone calls, a couple of Zoom meetings, and and even attending events for reps in in uh, Springfield 
in after the event, uh, having dinner with half dozen aid reps and listening to well their criticisms in and thankfully that it's not all criticism. There were some accolades that were bestowed, but but uh, a little mixture of both. So. Your predecessor was the longest running speaker in history. How long do you plan to hold on to the role? Uh, <laughs> nearly as long as Bob did. Uh, I enjoyed my time with Bob <clears throat> very much. We were very close. Um, I had a lot of respect for Bob in his style. Um, but I just don't see myself uh, lasting as long as he did. Although Fair I. I do say, though, that uh, another three years, I'll be old enough to run for president. So, Is that in the cards? <laughs> um, <laughs> so one of your biggest accomplishments was passing the bill that spent $4 billion from the American Rescue Plan Act and state surplus. And it passed a couple weeks ago during a lightly attended informal session. Given that the governor released his proposal for spending the ARPA money last June, I understand that you wanted to hold hearings, have a more deliberative process, but why wait so long that you couldn't get a final bill negotiated while you were still in full formal session? Well, we wanted to make sure that the money got to the areas of most need. And we wanted to identify those needs a lot better than the way the governor was doing it. The governor was throwing out chunks of money. And when that happens, you're not always sure of where it's going to end up. But through the hearing process, we identified issues like the DPH that, that was woefully underfunded as we got into this pandemic. We heard from the folks who were on the front lines and how frustrated they were at the lack of, of facilities and, and supplies. In education, there was nothing in the governor's plan that included education. And when we had the hearings, we heard very loudly and clearly about the needs in our, in our educational system for COVID relief. Same with food pantries. Food pantries wasn't an issue in anyone's radar until we started to have the hearings. And then we found out that how many food pantries were close to just, just failing, just closing their doors. The Greater Boston Food Pantry, which supplies dozens of smaller food pantries, was close to being empty. Um, so, so we identified right down to the to to the places where this money was going to make sure that the money got there, and that it all worked towards the recovery of these institutions that that advocates work for in in support with their, their sweat and equity. And, and we wanted to make sure that the money got to them. We heard from them. We listened to them. <clears throat> and I think it's been extremely effective in identifying the folks who need the money the most, and they will get the money. And it does seem like the ARPA bill really put money into a lot of different bug buckets. I mean, you mentioned the public health. There's housing, healthcare, infrastructure, education. Given that this is this massive influx of one-time money, 
Is there any initiative or any part of the spending that you think will really be transformative for the state? You know, something that someone will look back and say, this really made a huge difference in how our state operates. That's a great question. And I think that that can happen on a number of different fronts. And and my hope is that it happens on more than one. Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm totally committed to offshore winds and in our budget and in some of the uh, Apple money, we've we've made a commitment to that. We think that that can be a game changer as we strive towards a clean energy future. Uh, We think we're positioned very, very well. We have, off our shores, we have some of the highest prevailing winds on the East Coast. And if we don't take advantage of that, we're we're silly. So uh, I think that's one of the areas. I, I really do think going forward, the money we're going to put into the Department of Public Health will get us better prepared to face another pandemic if there is one on the horizon or any other public health crisis of any magnitude. Uh, it, it was embarrassing that some cities and towns didn't even have a, uh, a public health policy. So, so I think there are a number of things that are going to come out of this that will, will be game changers. Why include so many earmarks in the bill, something like $200 million worth of earmarks? Yeah. Those, those uh, legislative priorities within the larger areas of agreement between the House and Senate, well, as, you, as you begin to get into spending some of these monies in, in infrastructure and, and in other areas, the, no one knows the area that they represent better than the reps, um, even better than the advocates and better than some of the uh, uh, locals. The, the reps have their fingers in, in just about everything in their district. That's 40,000 people. And I think they can best identify some of the areas that need attention. And that's what we tried to do is, is listen to them as well as listening to the advocates who identified the big pictures. We wanted to get into some of the local uh, identified areas that some of the, that the, the reps have identified within that, that larger uh, bucket of money. So. Sure. You mentioned um, offshore wind as an area that could be trans- some transformative investments. I know you've long been a supporter of offshore wind. Uh, you also said there's going to be an energy-related bill coming out maybe soon. Is that in the works? What's, what's that going to look like? Yeah, yes. Um, we, we have uh, Jim and uh, Roy working on a bill to change some of the procurement laws. Um, one of the things that I was most disappointed on uh, the, this whole offshore wind rollout was, was the fact that our first opportunity restricted the bid procedure to, to just cost. And it got us a very low price per kilowatt hour, uh, probably the lowest uh, possible. But it did prevent companies from coming in and making an investment in our infrastructure so that they would stay here and grow with us uh, in, an infra- in an industry that is beginning to take off. And that was disappointing. <clears throat> But I do think after, you know, talking to the governor and talking to some of the folks who have bid, that it is time now to change the procurement laws to encourage more investment into our infrastructure. 
more of an investment in some of these companies to locate here and stay here. Uh, we think that that's going to create the industry that's going to provide clean energy all along the East Coast. And it's, it's an opportunity that we, we had a huge advantage of, but sort of gave it away. And now we're trying to catch up a little bit. And we think a, a procurement change will, will be a big help to us. And we've even, I think, get the governor convinced to the wisdom of, of uh, opening up the procurement process. And speaking of another uh, longtime priority of yours, healthcare. Uh, you've long talked about the need to help community hospitals, and the House recently released a bill, um, your bill, that focuses primarily on providing more state regulatory scrutiny of hospital expansions. Is this an attempt to stop Mass General Brigham from expanding into the suburbs? Oh, it isn't specifically uh, aimed at any one expansion. There are a number of expansions in the in the in the process of being initiated, but it is an attempt to put these expansions under a more vigorous scrutiny as to what it does to healthcare costs across the total spectrum. You will hear from folks who advocate for this process that they're going to lower costs in these off-site surgery centers. Well, that is true to a degree. It will be less to go to an off-site surgery center than it would be to go to the hospital in Boston. So there is a minor savings there. But what you have now done is bring the cost of a, a, a procedure into the suburbs, it is almost at a Boston rate, thereby undercutting the, the community hospital's rate. The community hospital rate is, is going to be left with only public payers. As the, the market attraction of, of a mass general or a, uh, a BI siphons off the public payers, the private payers to their off-site centers, it leaves the public payers in the community hospitals. The community hospitals are being reimbursed at the tune of about 70 cents on a dollar for, for their public uh, payers on the public procedures. So this, this, we need to look, if you're going to expand through the DON process, we need to look at what impact that will have on the total market costs. And the other point in this, in the change in this, this law is the DON was a DPH assessment of the expansion. There was no one in DO, um, DPH that has experience with market review and market increases. That was put in the hands of the HPC. And their role is to monitor the market changes and try to control costs in, in, in the total healthcare market. So this DON process was being used to sort of circumvent that, that analysis by HPC on the total market influence. Um, and it was dumping it into the DPH realm, which was not equipped to handle it and make judgments on it. So I felt it was important that we interject 
the HPC's ability to review the total market increase and market impact um, in the process. And that's what the bill does. But if the big problem for community hospitals is really the disparity in rates between what they're paid for a procedure and what larger hospital systems are paid for the same procedure, why not address that directly through something like price regulation? Well, that's an interesting prospect. But right now, it's a highly regulated industry healthcare, and we have guardrails on each side that sort of keep it keep it within some controls. And I am a true believer in in a free market economy, and I think the marketplace can, uh, with some assistance. Uh, function properly. Now, if we're proved wrong that it doesn't or can't function properly, then, you know, obviously I'd, I'd be willing to listen to any solution that, that made some sense. But I do think I'd, I'd prefer a, a free market solution before I get into any price capping or anything like that. And the Senate has passed its own health care bill. Uh, they focus on mental health. Um, that their bill would require better insurance coverage for mental health treatment, uh, an annual mental health wellness exam. It would try to address the emergency room boarding crisis where patients are, psychiatric patients are waiting for days for a bed. Will the House take up the Senate's bill, and do you anticipate that bill being negotiated in tandem with the community hospital bill? This is a real good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll take up the mental health bill. Um, I was one of the first... Uh, when I was chairman of insurance to get mental health visits covered under your health insurance policy. Um, I've been a believer in that since my time in, in insurance, which is, goes back to 2006. So I'm sure we'll take up the bill. There will be uh, things that we totally agree on and there will be discrepancies and the, the bill will go through uh, the regular process of, uh, I'm sure, a conference committee and, and will resolve those differences as to whether or not it's going to be tied to the DON bill. I, I don't know. I, this, I need a crystal ball to determine that. So. Um, another Senate priority is the Senate voted to make vote by mail permanent. They included other reforms like same-day voter registration. Do you think the House is going to be looking at making vote by mail permanent? Is that a bill that you anticipate taking up this session? Yeah, well, we had voted for that, and and we voted for a lot of the things that are in that bill in Senate over there, and they held it because they wanted to do a bigger bill. So we've taken these votes, and I, I think this what we're working on now is a way to to uh, rather than reinvent the wheel, just uh, get us all lined up in the same page. So. And I know that you have passed a sports betting bill in the House. The Senate hasn't taken that one up. Is Massachusetts falling behind by not legalizing sports betting? Oh, I believe that's true. I do believe that's true. We're surrounded now by every New England state, I think, has, has sports betting right now. And that's lost revenue. I, I have friends that drive to Rhode Island to, to get on their app and, and place bets on, on the, the football games. You know, it was my hope, we, we voted on this thing twice, it was my hope that we'd have it in play for the football season. Now I don't know if we'll even have it for March Madness. So, so I, I have great concerns that we're being left at the altar um, 
we're, we're losing 80,000, 80, $80 million in registration fees alone, registration fees that occur every five years, and probably about $60 million in tax revenue. Um, so I do think it's a lost opportunity. Um, one that, that uh, every other state seems to have uh, figured out a way to get it done. I, I can't understand why we haven't. And what are your priorities for the final year of the session when you return in January? What, do you, what are you going to be taking up? Well, obviously, obviously, I, <clears throat> we want to flesh out the offshore wind. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity with, with some of the APA money and some of the job training money we have to really start to, to make this into a real industry. We did it with Mass, Mass Biotech, and we can do it with this. Uh, I think we, we have an understanding of what it will take to succeed. And, and so I'm confident that, that uh, with, with the help from the, the Senate and the governor, that we can, we can create something that really drives the, the clean energy uh, dream in Massachusetts. And then there are, there's going to be a lot of different uh, environmental issues that we're going to have to deal with. I mean, uh, you know, we had, we, Thanksgiving Day, we had a 60-degree day in the middle of November. And, and you know, we, we have 50-mile-an-hour winds. We, we have to make sure we're doing everything we can um, to, to, to short-circuit any disruption that we're creating in our climate. So, so there's going to be an awful lot of things to keep us busy. Um, and I, for one, know how fortunate I am to be in a position where the federal government is and saw fit to inject us with large infusions of cash, which I, I, I certainly uh, can appreciate. And, and my commitment to the citizens of Massachusetts is to spend that money as wisely and as smartly as possible. And, and although we may not need to take as long to do the second batch of opera money as we had to do the first, I do think that we will do it in a thoughtful, uh, slower than probably most people would like fashion. So when a historian looks back on the Mariano speakership, you know, in five years and 10 years, what's going to be your measure of whether you are successful and what you've hoped to accomplish? It's another good question. Um, let me think about that. that. You know, I can be flipped and say, Everyone gets a successful bet in the Patriots Super Bowl. Um, but no, I, I think I think in an offshore wind industry that's that stabilized our energy portfolio so that businesses and citizens in Massachusetts have reliable energy at a reasonable rate. Um, if if that's something I could walk out of here having done, I would be extremely proud. Um, I, I really would think, uh, you know, we, we talking to the folks who were coming in and investing money in the state, we have the opportunity to do almost a third of what President Biden has authorized for offshore wind uh, just off the coast of Massachusetts. So I think this is, a, this is an opportunity that we may never see again um, at a time where we need it. Uh, obviously, you know, we all use 2050 as a target date for carbon-free. Um, this can get us there 
pretty quickly without a lot of disruption with some new jobs. You know, and, and we're looking at maybe even having to invest in the whole delivery system, the whole the whole system of getting the energy from the ocean to the to the home. So. And one final very serious question that I'm sure our listeners want to know the answer to. Why'd you shave off your mustache when you became speaker? <laughs> yes, that's, you know, maybe because I'm a weirdo. Everyone was growing hair. <laughs> Everyone I knew had a beard and, and a mustache or a goatee. And, and I, was getting, I knew I had to take to the floor. And I, already we had had scattered attendance in the chamber. So I said I, I wanted to do something to sort of lighten the whole the whole atmosphere was of going to the mic. And, and so I had shaved it and kept the mask on the whole day. And so no one knew I had shaved. And and I opened up the, and, and I'm trying to remember exactly what I said. I said, you people are here in attendance for a truly historical event. And, and I said, you're about to see Ron Mariano sans mustache. And I took off the, I took off the mask. It was just a bit of it was a bit of theater to try and lighten the lighten the mood and, and uh, bring a little levity to the to the midst of the pandemic. So. Much needed in the times we live in. I, I thought it was funny, but I don't know if anyone else did. What a lightheartedness! Always, always good in a time like this. And you can read more about what the legislature is up to on CommonwealthMagazine.org. House Speaker Ron Mariano, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me.